Hello and welcome to the Montague Reporter Podcast. My name is Sarah Brown Anson. I am the host and producer of the podcast, and I am here with Mike Jackson, who is the managing editor of the Montague Reporter newspaper. Hello, Mike. Hello, Sarah. Thanks for doing the podcast, and hello to our listeners and readers. Thanks for being here. I was very excited to see that there's a couple new writers on page one of the newspaper this week. So welcome to Lily Rivas and Haley Green, who both had those A1 stories. What can you tell us about these new writers? Well, we all, we always like new writers. Uh, it's a low barrier to entry here at the Montague Reporter. We're a community newspaper, and if you've ever just wondered if it would be fun to, to do a little reporting, uh, we're a great place to start out. Lily Rivas um, wrote an article looking at how local boarding schools have responded to COVID. That was kind of an assignment um, we've been looking for. I'm excited to work more with Lily. She comes with uh, her own experience as, as a writer and editor of, um, of actually another, another newspaper. So we'll see how much time that leaves to her uh, with the Montague Reporter. Um, but, you know, it's a delight to, to work with her. Haley Green is, uh, what that is, um, is the first of, um, there's a class at Turner's Falls High School this fall. It's a journalism class, and uh, a bunch of the students are going to be publishing work in the Montague Reporter as part of their, as part of their classwork, and uh, Haley's in that class, and uh, I think did a really great job talking about what, uh, she's on the field hockey team, so it was kind of reporting about how that has changed um, because of the pandemic. They are doing a, a limited field hockey season. So it's awesome to get some kind of first person reporting on that. Yeah, that was awesome. Both of these articles were really well written and I loved the um, the perspective on field hockey. It fit really well um, alongside the uh, sports roundup on A6. Yeah, by, just by coincidence, yeah, Matt Robinson who has been our, our regular sports writer, uh, hasn't had a chance to, to write anything since like March. So he's been going to field hockey games and, you know, we were planning on this week doing a little season roundup and the two uh, complemented each other really well. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing a wide variety of work from the students at Turner's Falls High School and also from the, you know, whatever new writers are joining the crew. So... Yeah. exciting time me too if any of our of our listeners want to get involved uh, just drop a line to me at editor at montaguereporter.org um, if you've got ideas of stuff to write i've also got you know a list of stuff that i i you know hope that we can find someone to cover so i'd be happy to to provide with with ideas for writers and also give you know support in in writing and training no prior experience is necessary love it all right, Mike, so let's delve into the continuing story of the Fair and Care Center in Turner's Falls. The latest news seems to be that the state has asked Trinity Health for more details or a, a more thorough plan for how they might move Farron patients if they do move forward with closing. Can you explain more about what's going on? Yep. So uh, the Farron... Uh, for for people just catching up now is in Turner's well it's actually in Montague City mm-hmm. um, south of Turner's Falls and uh, it's a long-term care facility for residents who have been 
um, almost all of them um, are in a particular status that means that they've been turned down by five other nursing homes, mostly people with dual diagnoses. Uh, the state pays a higher special Medicaid rate for residents, patients in this category. And, and Trinity Health, um, which has been owning it, announced back in August um, that they were hoping to close it in December. Uh, they gave 120 days notice, which is the, the minimum under their license the, that they'd be required to do that. And um, it, uh, we've gradually found out that um, they've been working um, for a year uh, with the state and another company to, um, you know, have a transition so it's not just, you know, oh, we're closing and, you know, 100 and, 110 odd uh, patients are just out on the sidewalk now. Um, there is, you know, there's been attempts to, to do contingency planning for this. Um, but, you know, one of the tricky things is um, that that planning has happened behind closed doors. Um, there's a for-profit company called iCare um, out of Connecticut that runs, you know, a lot of nursing homes, mostly in Connecticut. And um, they've been actually managing and operating the Farron since January. And they, the plan is for Trinity to move mo all the patients, or you know, most of the patients, to um, this other nursing home that they own in Holyoke called Mount St. Vincent, and then um, sell Mount St. Vincent to iCare. And um, that's been you know, the, the story up to this point. Um, a lot of concern in the community about uh, a, why this is happening, but B, does it need to happen right during a pandemic? There's been no um, cases of, of COVID recorded at the Farron and, you know, over 30 cases and 13 deaths earlier this year at Mount St. Vincent. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, most of the, the current patients at Mount St. Vincent um, are going to, you know, probably go on to other nursing homes to, to clear space for the Farron. So it would be like that facility is essentially holds the role statewide that Farron has. Sorry, this is long-winded for our listeners, uh, but there's, there's a lot at stake here. Um, this week, there weren't a ton of new developments, but the Department of Public Health, their Division of Licensure, has, has sent back to Trinity um, a request for much more detailed planning on a number of fronts, and, you know, they've got to they've gotta have answers by the 28th, so it's kind of unclear whether this means that it's likely that the Farron's timeline is going to be extended. Um, I think that some people think it might be. We haven't seen any confirmation. Um, but right now, Trinity is, you know, working on, on um, submitting a more detailed plan. Uh, I also, in our article this week, um, did some looking at the, the separate plan that iCare has submitted to the state for operating Mount St. Vincent. Um, with the new patients, um, there was like a ton of information in there that I found pretty interesting, and um, you know that that'll have to be approved separately. Um, so there's a lot of moving parts. The the last thing I want to say though is that um, this week um, on Monday, the Boston Globe ran a story on this. So this has been something that you know the Montague Reporter has been um, regularly covering um, with some. You know, we're joined also by the by the Greenfield Recorder and uh, Springfield Republican in this because this is a pretty big regional story. And at this point, you know, it's it's um, been noticed as statewide news. There was a, a really in-depth article in the Globe this week. 
Did you, um, were you able to read the Globe article and have you been in touch with the people who are covering this story for the Globe? Yes and yes, actually. They <laughs> had us forward on all of our reporting uh, when they were trying to catch up on background and the, the main reporter, um, the lead reporter on it, uh, kind of is their New England hinterlands um, reporter, as I understand it from other people. So, <laughs> what the heck does that mean? What are hinterlands? Is that well, like the boonies of the, the boonies? England? Yeah, yeah. So it covers you know all the stories in Maine or, or oh, you know, yeah. New Hampshire, and so um, that's that's who we get out in Western Mass too for the Globe. Um, but it's it's a it, well worth reading, you know, for people who are following the Baron, um, in addition to the local reporting. Really drives home that this is something that is uh, affects the whole state. So I'll drop a link to the Globe article in the notes for this episode. Or you can email me at editor at montaguereporter dot org, and I'll just send it along. You said that Eye Care had their own plan. Did you do an analysis of Eye Care's plan in this article, or will that be coming in the future? Well, I would say I started to. I did. It, it included a lot of financials, and one of those, what, you know, there were balance sheets essentially from um, from Trinity's operating the the facility, and the the most recent, the 2018 one, showed you know three quarters of a million dollars just about in uh, deficit, mm -hmm. and you know, iCare has a business plan uh, that would turn it into, you know, about a quarter of a million dollars in profit in the first year. And that business plan is contingent on moving these patients from the fair in there, um, you know, with their higher Medicaid uh, reimbursement rate from the state. Mm -hmm. And those rates, the thing that I found the most interesting personally, and, and this is way in the weeds, you know, maybe, but, but there was actually, it included a, an agreement that was signed by iCare and uh, the, the state's kind of head of Medicaid that included what the rates would be and what the timeline would be. And, you know, we would do this during the fill-up period and this during the, the close down and, you know, this after that and so on. And they, they had this entire plan all worked out and actually signed before there was any public announcement or public process about the Ferrens closure. So quite a lot happening behind closed doors. Um, this isn't, you know, obviously like a, a highway job where it goes out to, to public bid, but it's a lot of public revenue. And not to editorialize too much here, because we do, you know, we're trying to cover all sides of the story, but this is a really interesting situation, I think, of, um, of a private company basically closing an entire deal. Um, they, they still have to get um, licensed by the Division of Licensure, uh, to operate that um, Mount St. Vincent, but you know beyond that, um, they basically position themselves um, through through a non-public process with Trinity to take a profit stream through with no public. <laughs> you know, it's, it's not like it went out to bid. Right. So it's it's public funds without public accountability or public decision-making process. Is that well, what you're trying to say? It's it's the concerns, yeah. you know. Uh, why why I care essentially, um, mm -hmm. and uh, Trinity, um, you know, is is obviously not not a, a public sector organization itself. And this hospitals get sold from private sector to private sector also. Um, but 
you know, it, when they set that up, Trinity had to, there, there was actually a, another little local nonprofit organization that was formed in Turner's Falls um, that technically bought the Farron and then like a, you know, seven, seven and a half million um, bond was issued by the state of Massachusetts to, to fund the upgrades to make the Farron. You know, this is, this is something that happened with very substantial um, public supervision um, and support back in the early 90s, which, you know, the context then was, was deinstitutionalization, uh, the, the closure of, you know, the, the state hospitals, um, including the one at Northampton. Um, so, so it's not a public hospital, but it was something that, that you know, was set up through um, largely public support. And uh, it, it's just, I, I guess I do have some, <laughs> some thoughts and feelings on this. Um, all yeah, that said, definitely. You know, it, it might be the, the, the wisest plan to do, um, and you know, by, by all accounts, um, we, we haven't seen anything that indicates that eye care is, is um, you know, irresponsible, um, that, that this isn't, you know, in the long term, the, the wisest decision um, to make uh, to use this other facility in Holyoke. Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's not necessarily, you know, uh, evil, bad corruption, but, um, but what a complicated situation. And, um, you know, there's, uh, a lot of people saying, why does this need to happen during COVID? Mm-hmm. All right. Um, thanks, Mike. Do you have anything else to add? Well, we'll keep covering the story. And if, um, any of our listeners know anyone who, works down there or whose family members are in there um, living, get in touch. We're definitely interested in, in hearing people's perspectives on it. Great. All right, so there's a lot going on in the world right now. We're coming up on an election, and this is probably the last podcast episode that you and I will talk before November 3rd. So let's try to give folks a sense of what people need to know and how voting might be a little bit different this year in 2020 than other years. Sure. There's a lot of early voting already. People are are very invested in the election this year and early voting is set up uh, in I think most of the local towns. Here in Turner's it's at the Gilmontague Senior Center which is right around the corner from the Montague Reporter office. So, you know, I've been seeing people wander in there to cast their vote already. And a lot of mail-in ballots went out. Um, we covered that a few weeks ago. And mm-hmm. uh, I, for one, am looking forward to this whole thing being done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, I also am. And I'm sure the um, town leaders are <laughs> as well, especially town clerks um, and po- other poll workers. Yeah, we had a short piece in this week's paper uh, about early voting in Wendell, where some voters um, we learned had had shown up to cast their votes without masks, and you know now they they have to have a whole protocol for accommodating people who are going to insist on doing that. Uh, <laughs> a little little treat for our our podcast listeners. I'll share that uh, you know I, I assigned Sarah Robertson to to chase down the story because I, I think it is definitely an interesting news story. It affects us all how this happens. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, everyone that, that she spoke to or most of the people that she spoke to um, seemed kind of reluctant to 
to see it broadcast out to the other towns that um, that they were dealing with this. But you know, really, um, sorry, Wendell, uh, but this, this is something that is, is going to play out in, in every town, and you know, yeah. you should figure out. It's not just Wendell, but Wendell ended up in the headline, and um, maybe it's a coincidence, or maybe it has something to do with Wendell. I don't know, but. In any case, um, town clerk Gretchen Smith talked to Sarah for this article, and so no one can force a voter to wear a mask, but um, there's going to be a constable, which I think is just a police officer, at the door of the voting place encouraging people to wear masks and giving out free masks if someone forgot it, forgot their mask, and if someone does insist on voting without a mask they are allowed to but um there's no specific table for them and everyone else has to leave before they go inside to vote i'm gonna guess that anyone who is listening to the montague reporter podcast um would be wearing a mask if they're doing in-person voting but uh if you're not um give me a call and i'll argue with you um (laughs) it really just you know Uh, just don't, you know, even if it's just to not stress out the other people that are in there needlessly. Oh, are you going to publish that awesome map of precincts and voting locations again? That's the plan. I'm going to run it run it nice and big next week for our Montague voters. Um, Sweet. Yep, it's, it's different than last time. So most of the town is going to be voting um, in the gym at the tech school. Um, Montague Center folks at the Montague Center fire station like usual gonna let a motorcycle ride away um and then uh precinct five which is downtown turners is is back to the senior center mm-hmm. and if you live in greenfield like i do everyone will be voting at greenfield high school mike you told me you had a non sequitur that you wanted to share with listeners um for this episode what was it my non sequitur this week, readers can look at page A2 of, of this week's paper and see a guest editorial by Nancy Fulber, who lives in Montague and is a reader and has occasionally written things in the past. I cover the the school district for the paper and, you know, I've been covering extensively just the whole situation with um, remote learning, uh, even, you know, if everyone goes back in quote-unquote hybrid, there's still going to be a lot of um, learning from home going on. And, you know, what does that mean for who's actually doing the support for that? For younger than high school kids, let's say, um, Mm -hmm. does that mean someone's, you know, minding them in the home who wouldn't otherwise be? And uh, we saw nationwide really staggering jobs figures for August and September. It was like eight to one women leaving the workforce in September. And half of those were in the 35 to 44 year old uh, age bracket. Mm-hmm. And I'm uh, trying to kind of connect some dots. So uh, I gave Nancy a call. She's a, a professor emerita at UMass Amherst Economics Department and, you know, has covered issues of, of care work and, you know, waged and unwaged work in the past. And I'm a fan of her work mm-hmm. and uh, asked if she wanted to, to get involved in, in trying to kind of write about this and so she um, wrote what we ran as a guest editorial but also uh, more interestingly it's a call for people in the community to get in touch with her economist montague at gmail.com what are the challenges you face how are you coping with them do you have suggestions about ways we could help each other out 
Alternatively, feel free to vent about what's going on or to challenge everything I say above. You may keep your emails anonymous if you prefer. And then Nancy's going to be um, hopefully writing some some follow-up um, pieces about that and you know, really looking at how this is playing out um, locally during the pandemic. Um, anecdotally, I know a couple people um, who are both moms. Um, I guess I know some some dads and, you know, and so on, too, who, who are helping out with the added load um, around the house. But, um, you know, I, I know directly a couple moms who have left jobs this fall because of that. And uh, I think that it needs a lot more public discussion about, you know, that that part of what's happening right now. Mm-hmm. So really happy to have Nancy um, starting a little project with us, a little, little uh, workers inquiry. It's a really interesting project, so I look forward to seeing what becomes of it. Yeah. Uh, I also have one final um, on sequitur. Do you have any? I would just like to shout out the awesome headline. Um, Once in a while I do like a little headline roundup, but there was a gem on page A1 of this week's newspaper, and um, I got quite a few good laughs out of it. Town picks up pace despite gas discomfort about a um, property-assessed clean energy program and natural gas so kudos mike very good yeah and uh i'd like to publicly apologize for making a fart joke on the front page of the newspaper but um you know that's where the real money is these days (laughs) Um, we just wrapped up our 18th full year of publication um next week uh it's going to be year 19 number one wow congratulations Thanks. Thanks, everyone, for listening to the Montague Reporter podcast. Remember to subscribe to the newspaper and the podcast. And leave us a review on Apple Podcasts because it helps us get more listeners. Thanks to Blue Note Sessions for doing our music. And thank you to Greenfield Community Television for technical support. We will be back with a new episode soon, probably later this week. If you have any comments, questions, suggestions, or just want to chat, please drop us a line, 413-863-8666, or email at podcast at montaguereporter.org. And we'll see everyone on the other side of the elections, maybe. Yeah, good luck and vote. If you vote. If you're the voting type.